0: You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome podcast. Welcome to episode 44 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Listen, what do you say we cut the small talk and get to the real talk, some real transparency? I've decided to take a long, hard look in the mirror and ask myself a tough question or two. Specifically, where am I really at? with this personal reinvention, this personal transformation. In other words, I've got my mission. I know what it is. I want to ensure that my next 25 years are my best 25 years, that I'm better now mentally, physically, and emotionally than I've ever been before. And knowing what I know and having the experience that I have right now at this point in my life and the desire to improve, there is no reason that this should not happen, just as long as I am truly committed. But am I? Am I all in? Truly. Because it's got to be more than just an additional podcast. It's got to be a lifestyle. You have to have your mission, and then every single thought, choice, decision, and action has to flow directly from that mission. It has to all be aligned. And if any of those thoughts, decisions, or actions do not align with that mission or don't serve you, then you ditch them. You don't think it. You don't do it. You don't eat it. You don't drink it. You have a mission, and you have to act in accordance with that mission. It's a lifestyle and a commitment. But the truth is, I'm just not committed enough. Now, don't get it twisted. I am definitely better now than when I started this journey in any number of ways. But if extreme ownership is a cornerstone of living your best life or self-actualization, then I need to own this. I can do better, much better. This pod is not called the Incrementally Better Project with Jim Rome. It's the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. And I'm going to put myself on notice publicly right here and right now. I need to do a hell of a lot more. I need to have a much bigger chip on my shoulder. I need to be a hell of a lot more driven and efficient in order to get where I need to go. Because what I've always done won't get me there. I will own that, and now I need to execute on that. I'm looking directly into the mirror and I'm telling myself, do better. Do better. Now, what about you? Where are you in your own personal reinvention? Are you where you should be? Are you pushing yourself and improving in every way imaginable, big and small? Or are you like me and conning yourself? Be brutally honest about this. I am. You should be too. I know I can do better, and I will, because I sure as hell do not want to be right back here next episode, or in a month, or worse yet, six months, or a year, and have to admit to you all, I really have not made the progress that I set out to make. F that. All of that said, it should not be the case, and we should not have to rely on it, but sometimes it takes a really jarring, traumatic experience for the individual to get leverage on him or herself. Again, hopefully it never comes to that, and it certainly shouldn't have to come to that. We should all be able to reverse engineer our lives. You should be able to decide who you want to be, how you want to live, what kind of life you want to have, and then engineer it in reverse. However, as we have seen time and time again, individuals have dealt with, overcome, and converted unbelievable adversity into incredible personal transformation. And today's guest is no different. Without telling his entire story right here at the top, I'll just say that Joel Thorne Neeb truly is uncommon amongst the uncommon. This dude is the closest thing to an actual superhero slash renaissance man that there is. A former F-15 fighter pilot, a three-time American Ninja Warrior competitor, a CEO, a best-selling author, oh, and somebody who was given a death sentence. Actually, literally, And not only lived to talk about it, but made it his life obligation to talk about and share and live in accordance with that. He is Joel Neeb. The guy's incredible. And he's coming at you right now on episode 44 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Joel, there is so much that I want to talk to you about. But first off, let me just say it's an absolute pleasure to meet you and have you on The Reinvention Project. Thank you so much for doing so. How you doing? How are things, Joel?
1: Jim, doing fantastic. Really excited to talk with you. I've been a longtime fan, and uh, it's great. I I love this new reinvention mission, and looking forward to the conversation.
0: My man, I appreciate that so much because you fit in here perfectly. You are a former F-15 fighter pilot, a CEO, a best-selling author, an extreme athlete, and a three-time American Ninja Warrior competitor as well as a stage four cancer survivor. Of all of these things, and what a life you've already led, but of all those things, Joel, which is the one that resonates the most with you?
1: So the one that's most important to me, the, the title that uh, that I think I connect with more than anything else is a uh, husband and dad. And, 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 you know, that sounds cliche, but that's the most important team that I've got. And everything I do outside of uh, that, that group is, is built to emphasize the family. In other words, the des- discipline I've learned as a fighter pilot, I bring home the professional successes, whatever I'm afforded. I get to do that with my family and make that a part of our, our joint life. And, uh, and that's the most important one.
0: All right. So that is absolutely the most important one. That makes sense to me. I understand that. I've got a couple of kids and a family. I know that too. I think a lot of people listening can identify with that. I think also, Joel, what's interesting, a lot of people listening, I think, can also identify in a sense, at least in a sense, with you being a cancer survivor. I say that only because, and I've said this before on my programs and my podcasts, we all know somebody who has had cancer. Or we all know somebody who knows somebody. For instance, my father had leukemia. I've seen it in my family. I'm curious, what was it like for you to be so young, so vibrant, so healthy, and to be told in 2010 you had stage four cancer?
1: Yeah, it was a shock of a lifetime, Jim. uh, I was at the peak of my fitness and my career. I was in the final interviews to be an Air Force Thunderbird. Uh, like the Blue Angels. And uh, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get this diagnosis that not just cancer, but stage four, and expect to live about 18 months.
0: So when you're told something like that, Joel, I can't even imagine how you process something like that. But when the doctors tell you, you have 18 months to live at that time, did that feel like a death sentence? Or what did you do with that information initially?
1: You know, it's interesting. Uh, I was, I was a little surprised and shocked. I would have thought that being a fighter probably for so long, having gone to the air force Academy, living under discipline like I had and, and kind of preparing for struggles, I, I guess you could say that, that I've been better prepared for that moment, but I absolutely wasn't. I, I 100% curled up in the fetal position for about 30 days, felt very, very sorry for myself, felt like, uh, this shouldn't be happening to me. I was mad at God. I was mad at the situation and, uh, I I didn't handle it well at all.
0: See, Joel, the thing is, it it would be troubling enough, but right around that same time, you also received some really disturbing news regarding your son. What was that news?
1: So literally within weeks, we found out uh, that something we had been monitoring with my son had had grown as well. So he had a tumor in his lung uh, that uh, ended up being uh, not malignant and, and benign. But uh, it had grown to a quarter size. He was three years old, and at the time, we, we thought it was cancer as well, and it required him to have most of his lung removed on the left side. So literally within four weeks, we went from the picture of good health to looking like we're at death's door as a family.
0: All right, so it seems like everything is falling apart all at once. So at that point, you mentioned you were mad, you were mad at God. I mean, how often were you or did you say, why me, why us, this is not fair? Were those types of things running through your mind at that point?
1: Oh yeah. Every day. I mean, it was, I was a zombie. I would uh, stay up all night and watch the fans spin and, 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 you know, have horror thoughts about what was going to happen next. And then throughout the day, I would just be dead tired because I didn't sleep and just waiting for the night. It was this endless cycle. When I did get to sleep, you, you'll hear cancer survivors say that uh, their favorite part of the day is when they wake up because for those few seconds between being awake and asleep, it was just a dream and it's not really happening. I don't really have cancer. And, and they love that moment because they can go back to their old lives even if it's not real just for a few seconds. I hated that though myself because I was waking up to a nightmare. I would wake up and have that same sense that it didn't really happen. But then slowly I would remember, yeah, I had that doctor's appointment yesterday. Yes, I am actually gonna die very, very soon.
0: Hmm. I've never heard it described quite like that. I mean, that's chilling. Hey, so it's a given. We all have our favorite go-tos, right? And I'm talking go-tos for anything and everything. How about clothing? Shirts, sweaters, jeans. You know, the stuff you wear all the time. Let me tell you about one of my new favorite go-tos. Buck Mason. Buck Mason's clothes are second to none. They're timeless. They never go out of style. And everything that I have from them fits great right out of the box and becomes a go-to for that reason. And Buck Mason makes all the essentials. Jeans, shirts, jackets, and so much more. I'm telling you, I love the tailored look and fit of their t-shirts. Even after wearing them and putting them through wash after wash, they still look as good as when I first wore them. For instance, the curved hem tee is fantastic. But don't take my word for it. Listen to GQ, quote, the best t-shirt in the game. I'm telling you, this fit is perfect. Looks great, feels great, fits great. And once you try Buck Mason, they will become your go-to's also. So head on over to buckmason.com/rome. Buckmason.com/rome. Get a free T-shirt with your first order. That's b-u-c-k-m-a-s-o-n.com/rome. Get that free T and do it with your first order. Buckmason.com/rome. You said your entire life changed in a single moment when you met a little girl named Christina. Who was Christina and what happened in that moment?
1: Yeah, so the background for that one is uh, I was about six weeks into my cancer journey, very much into that self-pity party that that I had established. And I was driving to a hospital. I had to fight hard to get access to this hospital that treats my particular, particular type of cancer that's very rare. And it's about three-hour drive. It's in Houston, Texas. And on the way there, I had this overwhelming sense of dread. And I couldn't put my finger on why. And I shouldn't have felt dread because I, I finally got this hospital and access to these great doctors. And I would get to the hospital, and the, the, the overwhelming sense is just getting worse and worse. And I see this, um, this huge hospital. My wife drops me off. I'm walking in alone, and I realize why I'm feeling this sense of dread. And it's because I'm walking into the building that I'm going to die in. And I'm going to die in this building pretty soon, within the next 18 months. And I'm going to look out one of these windows that I'm looking at and uh, and take my last breath, you know, in the next year and a half. And I'll never forget, I, I just closed my eyes in the middle of this crowd and just looked straight up at this building. And tears were streaming down my face. And I was just angry at God. And I said, this, is, this isn't fair. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I shouldn't have cancer right now. I've got two young kids. You need to heal me right now, God. You need to take this away. And I opened up my eyes in that moment, my darkest moment of my life, and I lock eyes with another person and beautiful blue eyes. I'll never forget them. She's staring right at me. She's got a surgical mask over her face and a bald head, and she's about nine years old and she's being wheeled in by her dad. And in that brief interaction, I can tell that she's looking at me. She's afraid and she's dealing with the same thing I am. And she's afraid as she's entering this cancer hospital. And in this one moment, it was like a light switch. I went from having this absolute self-pity to all of a sudden saying, oh, my gosh, I'm the most blessed person in the world. I'm 33 years old. I'm a fighter pilot. I'm doing what every young kid dreams of doing. I have a beautiful family. Don't heal me. Don't save me, God. Save that little girl who won't live to be a teenager and it was just this amazing connection and the doors closed behind her. And I was just left transfixed by, you know, what just occurred. I like to say that God answered my prayer. He healed me, not in the way I wanted him to. I wasn't healed physically, but I was healed in the way I needed in that moment.
0: I mean, Joel, I, I have goosebumps. It's, it's one of the most amazing things. I've ever heard so you see this little girl and you know there's such a long road ahead physically and again anybody who's ever gone through this or been near somebody who's gone through this knows what we're talking about here but like in a moment like spiritually or emotionally your healing had begun whatever became of that little girl did you see her again
1: so I've told that story that I just told you many times because I you know clearly I had the opportunity to to have a second chance at life, and, and I wanted to share that lesson with as many people as I could. And one time, I shared that, I got this random message on LinkedIn, and it's is from this father in Houston, and, uh, and, and on LinkedIn of all things. And he says to me in the message, I'll paraphrase it. He says, "Joel, in 2010, I was wheeling my little girl into the hospital. It makes me choked up just thinking about it. Wheeling my little girl into the hospital, and uh, she had a bald head, and she had beautiful blue eyes, uh, Christina, and she was." nine years old. And, uh, she was afraid in that moment. And he said, but she wasn't afraid four years later, uh, when she passed away and went to be with God and she taught us many things in her life. And one of those was, was how to live and then how to die. And I'm, I'm so blessed to know that she taught you something and in, in her life is in her short life as well. And just what an incredible connection, everything coming full circle. Of course, it was a tragic, terrible ending to what I always hoped it would be different to meet this little girl, Christina, but, uh, but it was powerful for her dad to have that closure as well as we discovered that it was her that, that I encountered.
0: Oh, oh I, I, can, I can only imagine how powerful that must have been for him, for you, for people listening right now. I'm kind of curious, Joel, you do a lot of things. I mean, you're really involved. You're a CEO and you're an extreme athlete and you're a father and you're a husband. You're all these things, but you speak quite a bit. So you talk about these types of things. I'm curious, how often do you think of Christina?
1: Every day. Every single day I think about her because it was – you know, there's a great quote that uh, the dying have the most to teach us about life. And and I think that notionally we all agree with that because we know that in those final moments that the noise of life goes away, right? And what's left are the priorities and what matter most and, and really what matters most, which should have mattered most all along. And and so when, when I think about that moment with Christina, I got a little glimpse into clarity that we all seek and the clarity of, of you know, how we should really be uh, reflecting on our lives and the gratitude we should have and, and the things that we take for granted. And uh, and I think about her every day, so I don't forget that. And I carry that as an obligation. Yeah,
0: okay. So that that's a really key phrase you just had right there, an obligation, which I want to get to in a minute. So it, it's interesting because I'm hearing this from you, and I've also told this story about my father, and I don't know why... I mean, it certainly resonates with me. It made quite an uh, impression upon me. But there are moments where I forget about it, and I'm ashamed that I do. But my father had leukemia and was diagnosed with it, Joel, when he was 50— and then he lived to be 59. It ultimately got into his brain. He had brain surgery. But as you know, there are times where it's in remission or it comes back. But he, he never, in fact, he and my mother, they didn't tell anybody. That's just how they chose to deal with it. They owned a small business. My father was kind of a tough Boston guy. He didn't want any kind of sympathy or empathy. And, and by the way, he had gratitude. And it wasn't something that he practiced or learned. He just did. His feeling was, I've, I've done so much better in life than I ever expected. I have this wonderful life. I'm good. I'm fine. And I would say, how is this okay? How is it fine? And he says, it just is. And I know that kept him alive. I know it kept him in the fight. And the reason I bring this up, and I want to ask you, you fought it, you beat it, but in the course of doing so, there were so many others that you were alongside that were not as fortunate. At any point, did you ever feel survivor's remorse or survivor's guilt?
1: No, I didn't. And, and you know, it's, a lot of people did feel that and, and you can imagine why they would because they, they fought just as hard as the person alongside them who didn't make it. And I sat in the chemo room. And to your point, Jim, I, people are in their finest moments of their lives as they're in this struggle. And it doesn't need to be cancer. Struggle just brings out the best in us. And, and it, not initially, it, it certainly made me start my pity party right off the bat. But as I grew into the struggle, it, it brought out what was most important. I was able to focus on that like a laser beam and it transformed me As a person, I saw these other cancer patients transform through this struggle. And and yet, even though they were fighting it with everything they had and they had been transformed internally, they they didn't necessarily win their battle. And so the next week you go to the chemo room and somebody wouldn't be there. And we all talked about what we were going to do on the other side of cancer. And, And, you know, this second chapter, this second chance we were going to take, we're all optimistic. Somebody was going to start a new business or they were going to go to the Super Bowl finally, or, you know, rekindle the relationship with their daughter that had, you know, that had floundered and, and then they wouldn't show up. And so what I, I don't have survivor's remorse one bit, but I have an obligation to actually follow through on a different way of living because I'm one of the few that got a second chance that they would have done anything to have.
0: Yeah, baby, you know, I love that. Absolutely love that sound. Got a big smile on my face every single time I hear that, including right now, because that is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. It can do all that for you. It can scale your business. Listen, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I think that entrepreneurs know this. Believe me, when this podcast started... We were pushing out lots of different types of products, but nothing compared to what we're pushing out right now because of this journey, because of the possibility, because of Shopify. Business success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. Fact and Shopify powers over millions of those businesses from first sale to full scale more than a store Shopify grows with you this is possibility powered by Shopify what you should do is go to shopify.com/rome all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Learn exactly what I'm talking about here. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now. Once again, shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. See, okay, now what we're talking about here is the reinvention or the transformation or whatever you want to call it. What you're talking about is something you call survivor's obligation, something you feel so strongly about that you actually wrote a book with that very title. So if there's not survivor's remorse, but rather survivor's obligation, what exactly does that mean?
1: Survivor's obligation is acknowledging that as survivors, we are living in the second chance that somebody else would have given anything to have. And so to your point, you know, as we get, you said, I forget, you know, some of the lessons my dad uh, taught me during that time. And it's just natural that it happens. It happened to me as I got back into traffic, I would start getting frustrated again. And and just the normal daily challenges of life would start to creep into, into my, my aperture and, and my perspective. And I had to push them back out. And I had to say that I, I lived through this to be different. And that was an obligation that I carried to live my life differently, to reinvent myself and and, I, and it's not unique to cancer. And That was the whole point of the book. It's not about cancer It's about the normal struggles we all have. And cancer is dramatic and my story is dramatic. And so it appeals to people. They want to hear it. But everyone I'm t- that's listening right now has a survivor story that's unique to them. And they need to connect with that obligation that, because they're living the life that someone else would have given anything to have.
0: See, this is this is the stuff. This is what I want to get to. And before I, I was going to ask you about that. Like, how do you experience transformational growth if you don't have a transformative experience? But before I ask you that, let me just save that thought. You've also, we all know about post-traumatic stress, PTSD or PTS. You talk about the importance, though, not of that, but post-traumatic growth. This is what we're getting at. How would you describe or define? post-traumatic growth. What is that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Post-traumatic stress is very real. Don't want to be dismissive of that. But we all carry the scars of our past. they both physical and emotional. But there's something that psychologists are just starting to explore and realize is this equally powerful phenomenon, maybe even more powerful on the other side of the spectrum. And that's this massive growth that occurs on the other side of struggle. And, it's, and I hypothesize it's because we have this moment of clarity where we're in the midst of struggle, and we all of a sudden see what most should be most important, and as soon as we get out of that struggle, we're afforded this next chance. We have this focus we lacked beforehand, and, and our lives get so much better because we're emphasizing the right things, and, and we have this potent, massive growth that occurs on the other side of that struggle. I, I'm with a group of CEOs in, in a CEO community, and almost every one of them has that story that's self-made. They'll talk about this massive amount of struggle they had on the other side of it. They had this renewed focus, this reinvention opportunity that they have went to pursue.
0: So Joe, I'm curious, like for instance, I've talked, you know, I've done this a long, long time. So I've seen a lot of athletes, And I've had a lot of interviews with people that have come up a certain way and they're products of their environment for whatever reason. You know, I always have this thing. Is it nature or is it nurture? You know, are you a product of your environment or are you hardwired for it? I know exactly what you're talking about. You go through something you went through and you come out the other end. You could certainly argue that everything is good is on the other side of bad or everything good is on the other side of hard. What if you're one of those people that have been fortunate enough not to have to go through something like that, but you don't have that experience? I mean, can you take, does everybody have a story? Maybe not as extreme as yours, but what if you don't have something to, quote, tap into? Do you manufacture it or would you argue, no, we actually all do have something to connect to and tap into an experience?
1: So, so I'm going to say both. So, first of all, I think we all do have that survivor story. And and when I say you're a survivor, or something I've, I've done, had this conversation many times. Every single time, you can see people like almost tear up because they know exactly what I'm talking about. They're not going to say it out loud, but they all have some broken home they came from, um, some bad relationship that they endured, some you know some physical ailments, some loss of a loved one, whatever it is. They know exactly what I'm talking about when I say you're a survivor. You survived something, and they they have an opportunity to live their life differently based on that clarity. They carry the scars. It, and by the way, it doesn't validate their loss. It doesn't validate or justify the horrible things that they went through. It allows them to have a choice in how they respond and embrace the post-traumatic growth on the other side of it. They'll still carry the scars, but it's it's something we all can tap into in our lives. The other side of that is, I, I definitely believe you should seek discomfort every single day on a path. Not as a sadist, not, not hurting yourself, but specific discomforts on the way to something greater. The discomfort is always between us and our best lives. And so instead of running away from it, we live in this nerf society. We we wanna medicate all the bad things away from ourselves and we expect to live just pleasure-filled lives and, and yet we're the least happy generation out of the last thousand that have been out there. And I think it's because we don't embrace the right type of discomfort.
0: You know, you always hear that, Joel, right? You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable I mean what I'm hearing from you is if we really want to live the best version of ourselves if we want to live our best lives we have to I mean do you venture outside your comfort zone or do you have to live outside of your comfort zone what's it look like
1: I I believe you venture I don't think you necessarily live out there I don't I don't live 24 7 like that recovery is important to me Uh, I sleep eight hours a night rest is really important and uh, and I emphasize that just as much but, but you have to seek those things that you're afraid of. Very often people will tell me, well, I don't really know what I, I need to pursue. And, and you know I can't figure out what I would be passionate about, even if I wanted to get out of my comfort zone. My question for them is always, what would you do if you weren't afraid? How would your life look different if you made decisions that, that tackled some of those fears? Because our best lives are always, always, always on the other side of, of our fears, whether that's Our fear of leaving the past behind us our fear of venturing forth and doing something new starting a new relationship whatever it is that the the best life is always on the other side and and don't let cancer or some death sentence make you have that realization because here's what will happen you'll have that in a light switch of a second meaning that next second you will realize the regret you have for not taking action your back your subconscious knows what you should be doing right now you all know and you can't wait until that moment of clarity in the end times to, to realize you missed your chance.
0: Yes, so I wonder, Joel, for instance, if we have this transformative experience and we know that on the other side of that, we can actually use that, we can lean into that, we can tap into that, You know, how do you ensure that we use it and it makes us as opposed to breaking us? Because obviously so many people do not bounce back. In fact, I mean, I, I wouldn't say the majority, but how do we ensure, what logistically, how do you ensure that you use something like that to make you and not let it break you?
1: Yeah. Great question. So, and and we all have that choice, right? It's um, we're we're all going to be to varying degrees bitter because of our past experiences, but then we also get to decide how we'll be better. And, and that's a conscious decision that we're going to make. The bitter part isn't really conscious. We're going to carry those scars. That's not much of a choice. It it just happens. And PTSD is very real. and, And we shouldn't be dismissive of that. The other part of it though is also real. And it's about embracing the clarity that comes from those moments of struggle. And embracing the thoughts that you had at that time. If only I got better, here's how I'd live my life differently. There's a a great quote that a healthy man needs a thousand things to be happy. A sick man needs only one. And so when we have that moment of clarity and focus, we have to capture that and think about it for the rest of our lives and what that means in terms of how we're going to live differently on the other
0: side of it. So I wonder, like you obviously are dealing with some really high level people. And I want to talk about afterburner before I let you go and the, the, the type of work that you do. But just generally speaking, whether it's you're counseling CEOs, or you're talking to somebody, you know, normal, somebody average like me or anybody listening, should we be in pursuit constantly of perfection or maybe just progress?
1: 100% progress. And the other thing I like to tell people, once you get motivated on this talk track, or maybe if you're listening right now, you're saying, gosh, that sounds like a lot of pressure. Um, you know, it's, I gotta go find something to be uncomfortable with right now. I'm, I'm pretty cozy in my, my lounge chair and just hanging out. And, uh, and I don't, that doesn't really sound like it's for me. It's not something you have to do. You're already enough right now, but here's, here's the power in it. It's not that something you have to do It's something you get to do. That one word makes such a difference. And it makes a difference to me because I almost didn't get to do anything. And so now when I go up against hard, I go up against new opportunities I don't look at it as something I have to do, otherwise I'm not happy with myself. I, I look at it as something that I never thought I'd have access to, that, that I should, for all practical purposes, my medical condition, I shouldn't get to do it, but I do get to do it. And, and it's an icing on the cake of an already great life.
0: Right, that self-talk is so important, right? It's something you get to do as opposed to something you have to do. So I mentioned that, well, before I talk about Afterburner, you were a fighter pilot. So, And I I say this, obviously, Joel, you can tell from the tone of this conversation, I'm coming from a place of great, great respect and admiration, so do not misinterpret this. But when you were a young buck, a young buck on the way up, before you went (laughs) through any of this, and you're coming up through the system, and you're getting these opportunities, did you at any point ever think to yourself— Holy bleep! They're entrusting me, of all people, with a fifty million dollar piece of hardware.
1: All the time. So, so Jim, I was not the guy you would have tapped in high school and said, "All right, you're going to be in charge of the fifty million dollar plane and flying around faster than the speed of sound." In four years, by the way, to have, you started at 22, uh, and and so that was that's that's why I joined the company that you alluded to with Afterburner because I was exposed to this transformative system at such a young age at at 22, 23 years old. I was put on an elite team with an inspiring mission, and none of us knew what we were doing. And the dirty little secret was we were all afraid and terrified and didn't feel ready to do this. And yet, because we were on this incredibly elite team with an an inspiring mission in front of us and a system to transform us, we were transformed within months. And and I think that's a piece that people don't realize. You go from driving a car and having zero flying experience to literally four months later doing acrobatics, flying three feet away from another plane, flying faster than the speed of sound you know, flying 500 feet above the ground through the Grand Canyon or something. These skills you learn in a very short period of time. And I was blown away by the transformative power of this system that I was a part of.
0: Amazing. So as CEO of Afterburner, like, where do you draw your employees from and what do you all do?
1: Yeah, so Afterburner is a team that consists of former elite military members. So fighter pilots, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers. It's a company that's been around for 27 years. Now and uh, been running with the same mission for those 27 years that there are systems that transform us and uh, and and that we can put processes in place to to make ourselves more than we are uh, individually and, and to build elite teams and so we tap into those those processes and transform uh, corporate organizations with the same principles.
0: Joe, that's incredible. So are you telling me that everybody in the company is a former elite operator, elite member of the military?
1: Every single one of them. And you know, we have some sales team members and they're amazing. That. Uh, that don't have that background we have some admin team members that don't have that background but anybody who's client facing anybody who we're putting in front of um the outside the organization has that background and what it's what unites us
0: okay so obviously you're united i'm curious like i mean does everybody play well together look i understand that there's a mission and a team but in the various different branches of the military especially among elite members i mean is it are there rivalries does everybody get along real well they play well they talk a little bit of junk like how does that work
1: Always talk a little bit of junk, always rivalry. But at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. And, uh, you know, much like the elite sports teams that you've been able to to talk to through the years, it's we know that uh, we're aligned by a mission, and that's more important than anything else.
0: Joe, before you go, what about the America Ninja experience? You've done that a couple of times. What was that like, and what was your biggest takeaway from that experience?
1: Yeah, so that was awesome. That was really me putting my survivor's obligation to the test Um, and, and that was me getting outside of my comfort zone because look, I'm 45 years old. The, the average age on the show is probably 24 and it's actually getting younger every year. So I'm, I'm 20, I'm the grandpa, uh, when, when we get out there and, uh, and and yet I'm competing at an elite level. I finished in the top 10% uh, with the group this year, but more importantly, I failed dramatically in the first couple of years doing this. And, and I think that's probably the most important piece. Everybody looks at the successes and, and thinks, well, you know, if you have cancer or this outside of the struggle, you're just going to, um, you know, just win every time that, that you, you try after that. It's not about that one bit. Matter of fact, it's about failing again and again and again and being okay with failing uh, because you realize that that nobody's nobody's collecting the score. Nobody's watching and seeing how many times you win or lose. It's, it's more about your own experiences. So I lost m- multiple times. I had no business being out there, but I persevered. And now I'm on top with a with a pretty elite community.
0: Joel, I think that's really key. Before you go, is that not what this is all about to a certain extent? Like, for instance, why don't we do these things? Like, if we know, well, I mean, we all know what we should do, but then we don't do it. And why is that? Because we're afraid. We don't want to look bad. We're worried about how we're going to be perceived. Is it not a case of, you know what, honestly, people are so concerned with themselves. They really won't yep. even know whether or not you came up short. And if they do, they really don't care.
1: That's it, Jim. Uh, We, in our heads, we think people are keeping score and we're so afraid that they're going to see us fail. And that was my thought, you know, before I got cancer, I was, I really liked, my ego really liked being the guy who signed autographs and did the fly by at NFL games and all those other things. But if I was being honest, I wasn't growing anymore and and I wasn't really moving into some exciting new territory, learning anything new any day. And so when my life was on the line and I thought I was dying, I was deeply regretful and mad at myself that I was so concerned about doing the ego pursuits of my life and and manicuring my social media so that you saw me a certain way. And and at the end of the day, I realized nobody was even paying attention. Win or lose, everybody's so caught up in their own movie in their head that, that stars them that they're not paying attention. So you may as well live authentically. You may as well do the things you care about because I promise you, promise you, promise you, no matter how high you are, how low you are in a year, nobody will have any idea what you did. In a week, most people won't know what you did.
0: So Joel, finally, the analogy is so great about the movie in your head because what do we, unless we're really, intentional and conscious and understand how the brain works and how many people really do, what you end up doing, right, is watching a movie. We don't have a whole collection or a whole library of movies. We're probably mostly watching the same movie. And if it doesn't serve us, we keep watching the same bad movie on an endless loop. Is there a strategy or a way, like, can we get rid of that movie and make a new movie? Do you take a few scenes out of that movie? What do we do with that same crappy movie that doesn't serve (laughs) us and brings us down?
1: Yeah, great question. I think what it comes down to, Jim, is that you're more deliberate about your destination. In other words, if we just take stock of our current lives and we try to figure out, what do I need to do more? Well, we can come up with 100 different ideas. I should go work out more. I should eat better. I should work harder. I should spend more time with my family. But it's not until I really look down the road and say, what do I want to be in 10 years and describe my life in exquisite detail and that that destination. And then I can work backwards. And it, it's no longer the hundred things I could or should do right now. It's, it's three or four things I must do. And I can use focus because focus is the key. It's it, we can't fix the movie by changing everything and boiling the ocean. But we can be very, very deliberate about a few things. And that's what makes all the difference. The most successful people I know are the ones that are great at saying no to other things in life and turning off the noise and really focusing on the critical few things that matter the most.
0: All right, so that's my last question for you. I'm so glad you brought that up. What we're talking about here, are we not, Joel, is reverse engineering our lives, right? Don't you just decide what you want your life to be or look like and then reverse engineer it? For those who maybe know the phrase but don't know what that means, how would you explain that and does that work?
1: Yeah, 100% it works. And there's a great quote that we vastly underestimate what we can do in five years and overestimate what we can do in five months. So in other words, we end up on this endless rat race of chasing everybody else and and getting caught up in the minutia and the noise of today and all the things that we got to do. And we don't really make any changes over the long term because we're just just running and we're busy but never productive. When in reverse, if we were to look at it differently and say, what do I want to be down the road and the destination, we can be extremely aspirational. At that point, we could, I mean, you and I can change our lives in 180 degrees in 10 years from now. Everything is on the table, right? But we have to be really specific about it. And we have to be really deliberate about how we're going to pursue that in the path. You can absolutely reverse engineer your life uh, once you have that destination established. and, And I'm living proof and others are as well. I'm
0: trying so hard not to be greedy with your time. Joel, one last thought, because now that I've been in this space and spent some time and I've talked to other people, I don't want to say people like you because I think you're an extremely unique individual, but everybody is, right? that The people that you talk to, the people you work with. I'm kind of curious, just off the board, like social media. Like It's kind of funny. Now that I'm doing this, And my social media game is not as strong as it should be. I acknowledge that. I understand that. I do do a three-hour nationally syndicated radio program every single day. But in this space, I I, I can't get away from some of it. Now, you have a space, and you do it, and you work with companies, but you're not—I'm curious about your approach to social media because you're you're clearly not— in our face every single second, which I appreciate, and bombarding us. But you have really useful, helpful information. So what I'm getting at is this. How do you approach your social media?
1: I approach it this way, that my goal is not to be an icon, but to be an idea. Because icons don't persevere. Somebody had a great tweet the other day. I don't remember who said it, and this is just a testament to how little we connected to actual people. Uh, that you know betty white died four four months ago and and me saying that is the first time you thought of her in four months and yet she was america's sweetheart and somebody that was you know front of mind for every american uh in, in the past you know 100 years and and, and that's how and that, and that was somebody who was on every you know movie and on the front stage imagine when we're gone so the best we can hope for is that our ideas persevere that you know, what we do in life echoes in eternity, not our names, not our social media feed. Nobody's going to remember that next week, let alone in 100 years, but your ideas can persevere. Come and so up. what I would challenge people to do is not just pursue success. Success is about ego building. Success is about titles. I was very successful, quote unquote, as a fighter pilot, lieutenant colonel, all the things you'd want to see on paper. Nobody re- would have remembered that if I had died. and you know We wouldn't even be talking about Joel Neve at this point if I died 10 years ago but your ideas can persevere success to significance. Significance is the path that we need to be choosing. And, and when you choose significance in your social media or your talk track or anything else you're pursuing and realize nobody's remember who said it. And that is just your ideas that could persevere and be tagged onto other great ideas. That's when things get really exciting.
0: I am so, so glad that I asked you that question. We're going to walk off on that. Joel, if people want to know more information about the company, where to find your book, where to find you, where should they go?
1: Yeah, I would say go connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, That's where I do most of my communicating. You alluded to that as well. And and then if you want to find out more about Afterburner and how we transform teams, afterburner.com. I'm actually working in the uh, office of the CEO for a 40,000-person tech company right now called VMware and helping to transform our culture and operating model for some really exciting outcomes there as well in a tech for good scenario. Super excited about that. So follow VMware. But uh, at the end of the day, follow the ideas, not the person anyway, and uh, looking forward to having a conversation if you reach out.
0: Absolutely love that, Joel. I appreciate it so much. That was everything that I expected and so much more, and I know our listeners will get so much out of that as well. So an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you for making time. I know how busy you are, and I really appreciate all that, Joel. That was exceptional.
1: Jim, thanks for what you do as well. Appreciate it.
0: Such an amazing and powerful conversation with Joel and Lee. And by the way, that's one of the reasons I started dropping these episodes every other week instead of every single week, because I think they're so powerful and so impactful that I and we need to spend some time with them, spend some time thinking about them and re-listening to them and absorbing the totality of the messages and lessons that our guests are sharing. And this episode is no different. Every single time I listen and re-listen to all these episodes, I pick up something I missed the first or even second time around. Now, one of my most obvious takeaways from this conversation with Joel was his insistence that we take whatever traumatic episode or episodes that we've had in our lives and convert them into, quote, post-traumatic growth. He was very careful to say that he was in no way diminishing the significance of post-traumatic stress and those who suffer from it, but instead what he's saying is we have all experienced something traumatic, something truly disturbing, something that we continue to go back to over and over again that is preventing us from moving forward. What Joel is saying is whatever that is for you, for him it was cancer, but whatever it is for you, make sure you are not defined by it. Stop running that horrible movie over and over again in your head. You're the director. Make a new damn movie. I get it. Sounds simple. It is actually simple. Simple but not easy. But you are the director and the writer, the producer, the lead actor. Make a new movie and run that in your head instead. I mean, what do we do when we're watching a movie we don't like? We shut it off. We don't continue to watch it over and over again until it makes us miserable. Shut it off. Do not let that traumatic episode or episodes that have already happened define you and the rest of your life. You can't change what has already happened, but you can change how you respond to it. You can change how you see it. You can reframe it. And most of all, you can lean into it and use it to completely transform yourself. And how do you do that? By just deciding, by just committing. Joel Neib is proof of that. He literally transformed himself and his mindset and the rest of his life in a single moment. One moment, he was crying out to God, why me? Why us? You need to heal me, God. This is not fair. And then in a single moment, his entire mindset and really his entire life going forward changed. When he locked eyes with a sick little girl and then said to God, don't heal me. I may have stage four cancer, but I'm one of the lucky ones. I have an amazing life. I have an amazing family. I've had amazing experiences. I'm 33. She's just a little girl. Heal her instead, not me. And then in that very moment, Joel miraculously began to heal. Maybe not physically, not yet, but emotionally and spiritually immediately He decided, he decided in that moment he would never feel sorry for himself ever again. And I know for a fact that that alone had to have helped him physically and in his overall battle against the disease. Tragically, this little girl, Christina, passed away, but her memory... Obviously lives on through her loved ones and through Joel, whose life was completely transformed in a moment by that chance encounter. And who knows how many thousands and thousands of lives he has transformed by sharing and retelling that story. By living with a survivor's obligation. An obligation to live the life that he and everybody said they would live if they were lucky enough to get a second chance. An obligation to ensure that these were not just hollow promises that they made to each other and that they would attack their days and their dreams to their first ability if they were just given another opportunity. Because so many people that we have lost would give anything And everything to have the opportunities so many of us have yet are simply wasting. Think about that. As I said at the top of the episode, it was time for me and in fact it's time for all of us to take that hard look in the mirror and answer some tough questions. Are we the person we want to be? Are we living the life we want to live? Or are we making excuses lying to the world, and worst of all, lying to ourselves about who and what we really are. We're all on the clock. Nothing is promised to any of us, not even tomorrow. Time to get to work. Let's all consider this our second chance. But don't waste it because you may not get another one. So get your ass in gear. It's go time. I'm with you on this. Let's go. Let's get it. My thanks to Joel Thorneeb. this dude is an absolute warrior, and I feel like that was just a wake-up call that I personally needed. If you feel the same way, please feel free to share this episode with others, and then tell them about my side hustle to my side hustle, The Reinvention Project. And if you don't mind, can you please feel free to subscribe, review, and then let me know how you feel about the pod, and then where you are in your own reinvention process thank you once again for listening. Now let's get it. And I will see you next time right here on the reinvention project with Jim Rome.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old.